Hi, I'm Kyla. And this is Jay. And you're listening to Strange Fruit by Louisville Public Media. Uh, welcome back, dear listeners. Happy November to you all. Hopefully you all have recovered from your chocolate-induced uh, <laughs> slumbers and perhaps uh, glucose overdoses. I am still weaning myself off of the leftover chocolate uh, from the Halloween <laughs> season um, and uh, gearing up, of course, to make room for all of the Christmas candy that I plan to hoard um, in just uh, about a month. I know, a month, I know. A month, you're so excited. It's a daggone shame that really... I base my year, um, yeah. uh, uh, usually around around food or in our candy. Uh huh. Um, especially, you know, you know why I love the fall months. Any month that ends in an R. I don't know if you we've been. Let's see if you can finish this statement. We've been friends for a while. Any month that ends in an R, you can eat wet food in the South. Chit. Oh no. Uh-uh, yes, yes, chitlins, no, yes. No, no. Chitlins, also known as chitlins. I knew you were um, gonna say chitlins. Yes. So you're well, you're a northerner, so you don't really know this, but Ugh. here in the South, we all know, of course, that you eat chitlins in months that end in R. So that would be <laughs> September, <laughs> October, November, December is prom chitlin season. Um Yuck. so Birds. of course, now if you go to a place like Shirley Bay's <laughs> Cafe, you can get chitlins year round. Or, you know, but if you really want, like if you technically speaking, what's <laughs> what is chitlin season, it's no. the it's these it's the uh, winter months. So anyway, yeah. I digress. Let's get to the topic um, at hand. So, Doc, you remember a few weeks ago we talked about the situation in the Lyft or the Uber in New York City, right? Yeah. And there was a situation with the black Lyft driver, and he had a Latinx man in his back seat, right? Mm-hmm. And there was some kind of beef over the radio station, and you know they had this conflict which was recorded. But part of what struck me as really odd was this Latinx gay dude was using the N word. Well, yeah, towards, and he was using it in a derogatory. He was way. using it in a derogatory, but then yeah. also you know like and, and, and even we've used it kind of as a term of a dim, like my you know my N word or whatever. Uh-huh. But it, it begs the further discussion about when is it appropriate or inappropriate for Latinx folks. You know, there's been discussion about about Cardi B, who's the rapper, right, who identifies as both black and, and Latinx, and, uh-huh. and other folks, right, throughout especially hip hop culture pop culture, uh, using the N-word. And so it really has, has brought into the popular conversation, when can Latinx folk, um, especially if they don't identify primarily as black, when is it ever, or is it ever rather, appropriate for them to use the N-word? And so I was really delighted um, to see on Refinery29.com a piece by Olga Marina Segura, uh, and it was called The Latinx Community's Complicated Relationship with the N-Word. So please welcome to the show, dear listeners, Olga Marina Segura. How are you? Hey, guys. I'm good. How are you guys? Good. I didn't totally slaughter your name, did I? <laughs> no, I actually appreciated the way you pronounced my last name. You threw a little Cardi in there on that R, so I really I tried like my it. best. See, I used to work <laughs> in the DMV, and, you know, I, I, I prided my, you know, like, all the white people were scared to interact with people who spoke Spanish. And so I prided oh. myself on trying to, and I just remember that Seguro meant, I think, insurance in some version of Spanish, Seguro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was like, yep. you know, I didn't see your seguro, you know, like, so I would, anyway, I have like a umpaquito vocabulary, mostly about uh, insurance, where do you live, uh, I need to see your license, but I do have a, a moderate uh, conversational understanding of Spanish as it relates to the DMV. Anyway, okay. like uh, thank you. Thank you for being with us. So, yeah, as we mentioned, uh, you know, there's a, a conversation happening right now about Latinx folk using the N-word. And so I really appreciate the story that you wrote. And you, you mentioned that there are right now uh, over 55 million Latinx folks living in the U.S. And, of course, you know, there's a lot of their intersectional just as black people are, right? You have people who are black and, and Latinx and all, and all varieties in between. But talk a bit about what led you to write this particular piece and what discussion you hope to have and hope to generate by writing this piece. Sure. So I was approached by editors of Refinery29 to, again, talk about the Latinx community, the complicated relationship that we have with the N-word. Um, but more broadly, this is something that I have been thinking about um, for, I would want to say, about five or six years now. Um, as I mentioned in the piece, I grew up 
I was born in the Dominican Republic, um, and I've been living in New York City most of my life. Um, but it wasn't until my 20s that I started to have these sort of questions about what it means to be Dominican, what it means to be a Latina, um, because I have a black father. who I have a father who identifies as black, but I have a mother who looks very white. Um, so that led me to sort of say, okay, well, what does it mean to have these identity questions? And one of the things that came out of that was the fact that I grew up in a place where, you know, as you mentioned, Jason, like Latino and black communities, it's so intersectional. Our lives are so intertwined in a place like New York City. So this is just something that I have been thinking about a lot. And a lot of people that I've grown up with myself, both black individuals and Latinxes as well. Yeah, yeah, I love this. Yeah, go ahead, yeah go. no, I mean, I really, really loved your article in that way because in our discussion last, uh, the last time we talked about when we talked about that particular incident with the Lyft driver, yeah. I mentioned, because we talked about Remy Ma yes. and Remy mm-hmm. Ma's defense of, of the Latinx white rapper, folks. Yeah, the well, white rapper even. The, yeah, yeah using it, right? Oh, and yeah, because she said that, that Fat Joe yeah. is the blackest Latinx dude she knows and he can use the word anytime he wants to or something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I was saying how it seems as if the defense of Latinx folks using the N-word always is in the East Coast, right? It, it, it has ties to the Bronx and the birth of hip-hop. And so mm-hmm. I really appreciated that kind of connect in your in your piece. But you talk about in your piece after you talk about that, you talk about how there's been a certain some kind of whitewashing that's gone on within Dominican culture specifically. And you know, what where does that come from? Where does this whitewashing and anti-blackness come from when it comes to Dominican folk? Yeah, so I think we have um a very complicated history. Um, with anti-black. Well, not complicated. It's very straightforward. We're a very anti-black country. Um, And this, like, just gonna... And I know a lot of my relatives hate when I say this, but we are a very anti-black country. Um, It stems from when the Spanish arrived on the island and killed off all of the brown Indians that were there, and then Mm. the enslavement of Africans that happened after that. And then, you know, we had a dictator who, for 30 years, favored lighter-skinned individuals, you know? So throughout our history, we have had this sense of anti-blackness. So even now, I have relatives in my family who are black, who would be considered black in America, but refuse to acknowledge that part of them. They will say, like I mentioned in the piece, they will highlight, oh, well, I had XY ancestor who is from Spain, you know? And I think because we don't know how to have those conversations, because we don't acknowledge that part of our history, it makes it very complicated for us to get involved in these discussions. There's a lot of the pushback that I got from the piece was like, you know, well, you guys are a really anti-black community. Why would you even think that you have a right to speak on this issue, you know? Um, But I think it's important to start from the place to say like, well, yeah, we are super anti-black, but we also are very black, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you mentioned that you personally, although maybe there are people in your family who've used the N-word or even, like, classmates or, or, or homeboys or homegirls who've used it as a term of endearment, mm-hmm. that you made a personal decision not to use that because of what, what you describe as your ability to pass or your, or your own lightness. So even for someone who may consider themselves to be woke, right, even if they, even if they recognize their the, their African roots, their Afro roots, uh, you know, but because of the, the way they, which they present, that was important for you, right? So talk a little bit about your personal reflections around your own, you know, quote-unquote passability or even the lightness of your skin and how that, maybe that word uh, is, is worn differently by light-skinned people. You talk about your, about your personal reflections about your choice to not use that word. Even though your husband is yeah. black, your husband's got name, he's like, yo, I mean, you're Afro-Latino, you can use the word, but you're like, nope, I ain't gonna do it. Yeah, yeah, because I think, honestly, I feel it would be inappropriate for me to use the word, you know, because even though I identify as Afro-Latina, I am, a, I am still a light-skinned Latina. And even if I am acknowledging my own roots, even though I am acknowledging my own anti-blackness that I've had in the past, my own whitewashing, 
I have not walked through the world facing the same discrimination, the same colorism that people with darker skin have had. So for me, it feels as if I would be appropriating in a way an experience that doesn't belong to me, you know? And I never want to be in a situation where I make other black or brown people feel uncomfortable. And that's where I operate from. I'm like, yes, I identify as Afro-Latina. I have a black father. But to me, because of my light skin privilege, I still would never want to use that and make others feel uncomfortable, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, right, right. And, you know, what's, what's interesting is we were just talking about Fat Joe, right? But in mm-hmm. your piece, you talk about Big Pun, right? So Big Pun, yeah. rapper, Latinx, uses the N-word profusely throughout basically his entire career. But then when J-Lo uses yeah. the same uh, word in her song, I'm Real, you said mm-hmm. it was met with criticism. Why do you think there was a differential with that treatment? Why, on the one hand, Fat Joe was able to say it virtually no criticism, and then as soon as J-Lo uses it yeah. only once in one song, there was all this criticism? I think that has to do with the way that the privilege that J-Lo gets and the mm. access that J-Lo has received in the world because she is a light-skinned Latina. The same way that I have had privileges and opportunities that other people of color will not, mm. J-Lo has also had that as well. You know, because part of part of doing the work, quote-unquote, means that you have to acknowledge your privilege. And I think someone like Big Pun grew up in that struggle very deeply and it was a part of his music and has always was always a part of his career but someone like j-lo like she's been able to navigate hollywood in a way that no not many people not even cardi other people from the bronx have been able to get the privilege like i mean she's been in movies where she plays a white woman yeah and it's like that privilege and opportunity that she has mm. gotten i think that is where a lot of the pushback has arose when she when she used the term, you know? Yeah, and, and you're right, and I think that maybe that is also, so yeah, so recognizing that a lot of it is is is, is about a shared experience, right? So because Big mm-hmm. Pun comes from like this kind of gritty, yeah. urban, you know, a hip-hop poet, right? The way in which we view hip-hop culture, and you have mm-hmm. J-Lo who comes from Hollywood or at Best Pop Music, it's like, okay, even though y'all are both from the same neighborhood, y'all are both the same culturally, we're not of a shared either socioeconomic experience, we're not of the same experience of being policed by, by either law enforcement or society in the same kind of ways, and I think that maybe that is what even allows, talking about white folk in particular, what allows a lot of white folks to get passes on who says the word. Mm-hmm. And so in particular, yeah. when it came to Remy Ma, the conversation was about the rapper, I think in Little Zan, like Lil Zan. Uh-huh. It was white dude, tattoos, kind of like white trashy. But, right. you know, because he's in hip-hop culture, people are much more inclined to, inclined to kind of give passes to these white boy rappers or these white boy skateboarders who seem to be a part of urban culture or seem to be mm-hmm. live a kind of a renegade lifestyle, that there seems to be less about the literal meaning of the word, even the history of the word, and more about it signifying a particular social experience. I don't know yeah, if that makes no, sense I think, I, I think it definitely does like a socioeconomic Yeah, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, it's really interesting. So what, what about your black friends, um, Olga? What have your black friends uh, <laughs> said about the few that you've talked to or interviewed about whether or not they believe that Latinx folks can use the term? Honestly, most of them seem to share the opinion um, of... Uh, Joelle, who I quoted in the piece, where they're like, you know, even though I understand that we grew up with very similar experiences, I still prefer it to be a word that is only used by Black men and women. Um, And the reason a lot of them gave me for that was that, you know, we have experienced racism growing up from white individuals, but we've also experienced a lot of racism from Latinos, you know, and and it's hard for them to remove that. And again, I can't, I don't fault them for that. I think that if a black man or woman has a problem saying the word, that that's something that they have a right to say that, you know? Um, And I think 
that because Latinos have been so anti-Black and have been so explicit about separating themselves from their Black roots, I think that has made it difficult for a lot of my Black friends to say, you know, yeah, sure, it's cool for you guys to say this, but, you know, you guys have been super anti-Black and have never called yourself Black until you want to say the word, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's very, that's very spot on. I mean, I think I, I feel the same way. You can't, on the one hand, indulge in the culture, right? And on the other hand, Mm -hmm. kind of... Uh, erase any kind of background you have or any ties to any kind of African roots and mm-hmm. spout anti-blackness every other minute, right, in all sorts of behaviors and ways. But then when you're, you know, want to appear either cool or laid <laughs> yeah. back or hip, you want to use it. So yeah. you can't have one without the other. And I think yeah. that that's what, what you were talking about, Jay, in terms of the experience and the scrutiny for J-Lo and not, the, and, and not scrutiny uh, for big puns. So if it seems and appears as if you have a similar social and economic background and experience with antagonism with the police, po- dealing with poverty, dealing yeah. with, you know, all types of issues yeah. that are part of hip-hop and urban living and, and stuff like that, it, do- it seems like it, it doesn't really matter what race you are or, you know, so long as folks around you see you see mirroring. You authentic, right? so seeing you as authentic, experience. right. And you're not... so arbitrary, yeah. Yeah, but again, like, when I was always approached with, like, well, you guys say it all the time, or... Why can't I say it? You know, it's always like the white boy who lived in like the suburbs who yeah. wanted to say it, who had, you know, who again in his home there was probably all sorts of anti-blackness stuff happening, yeah. and he probably himself was anti-black as well. Yeah. But again, he thought that the word was cool. It was some in thing that black people did with one another, and white people felt left out, and they feel like you know I, when when it comes to white supremacy, they they can't be left out of nothing. Yeah, left out, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, so so, so um. um <laughs> You you mentioned earlier. So let me ask you this: What what has been the feedback, the reception, both from people in your life that you know personally, but also perhaps on Twitter or letters to the editor? What has feedback been from folks in regards to to your particular piece? Honestly, I, I've been surprised that the Twitter reception hasn't been as bad as I expected. Because okay. um, you can never you can never tell with Twitter trolls. Oh. Um, but surprisingly, negative feedback that I've gotten has been mostly from other like Dominicans in my own family who have read the piece and have felt personally attacked yes. <laughs> in the piece, um, who have felt that I am presenting our country incorrectly. And I'm again, I'm just like, this is exactly why I have to write this piece, because this is our problem. <laughs> we yeah. don't want to acknowledge our history. Um, but the reception overall has been good, aside from like the people with uh, several, a few people within my family. Okay, I love it, I love it, I love it. Well, I'll tell you what, before before we go, we have to, uh, from one podcaster to another, give a shout-out. You are also the host or co-host of a podcast, right? Correct. You, um, you want to give a shout-out? Sure, sure, thank you. I'm a co-host of the podcast called Jesuitical. Um, it's under American Media, and it's a young, it's a podcast for young Catholics where we talk about things like race, immigration, church news, um, and it's every week. You can find it on Apple Podcasts. I love it. And I'll spell it for your listeners because you're like, they're like, what? J-E-S-U-I-T-I-C-A-L. And from one Catholic to another, I'm excited about checking in. I'm, I'm here on your iTunes right now. I'm going to check it out. Uh, I'm no longer young, but I'm, but I'm a, a youngish Catholic. <laughs> so I look forward to checking that out. Uh, <laughs> listeners, uh, this has been Olga Marina Segura, a, La- a Latino writer from New York City. Hey, thank you so much for, number one, joining us on the show, but then also creating or help to create this conversation. It really um, was a well-written piece, and we're happy to have had you on the show today. Thank you guys so much for inviting me on. It was great. Please take care. Bye-bye.
Thanks, Olga. Bye. Bye-bye. So, time for our topics, y'all. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm officially uh, under, I'm officially under protest. <laughs> I have decided, I just declared to you yeah. uh, that I will no longer be reporting any kind of political news personally on 45. <laughs> and so, uh, you yes. are now the official Strange Fruit political reporter. <laughs> yes, because we have to... Like, cause every, every, I love every, because every week, y'all, we discuss, like, okay, what should we talk about? And, yeah, and I'll be know, like, so did, did you see what 45 just did? And you like, I don't want to talk about it. Nope, nope, nope. And I understand that. No, but, you know, but I'm trying to do better, y'all. But again, I have tried, you know, and actually, Actually, interestingly enough, related but unrelated, when it comes to like you know like people being gunned down and stuff, do you remember that like conversation? Like somebody mm. got gunned down, and you're like, let's talk about it. Like one kid got, and I'm like, I just don't have it in me. Yeah, it you really know, we've been doing this for like five years. So like now, so that be that maybe some. So sometimes y'all, if there's a story that makes the news. Right, and y'all are like, well, I want Doc and Jay to hear what they have to say about it, and we don't cover it. It's probably because, like, I just don't have it in me, but I'm going to be much more intentional because you, you always do say, Doc, that people will, will come here yeah, for, they for our hear. take. And so I'm going to try, I'm trying to do better about stuff that, that's making that I know is important to people. You know, if I can't do it, then so I would just say it. that you're going to talk about 45's latest antics. Yeah, he's really getting Bach this time. And, yeah. Um, and he just, I mean, just like we talked about on the, an episode earlier about how he wanted to make some kind of solid thing around trans identity. And so, uh, you know, so he's just always, always a problem. And so the recent shenanigans that 45 has been up to, and this is uh, as reported by Joel Rose of NPR, President Trump says that he can end birthright citizenship with an executive order. But most legal scholars and even the leaders of the president's own party are skeptical. So what he wants to do is essentially babies that are born to folks who are not technically U.S. citizens are no longer automatic U.S. citizens. And so this is some kind of maneuver where he actually wants to stop this through some kind of executive order. But legal analysts are like, dude, you can't do that, right? So they say the 14th Amendment holds that all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction, therefore, are citizens of the United States. So, basically, he would be trying to mess with the 14th Amendment. And he thinks that through an executive order, he can literally undo an amendment to the Constitution. I mean, this is how fool he is. I mean, he is the worst. But, I mean, nonetheless, the thing that's the most disgusting about the whole maneuver is his whole time in office has been, one, to undo everything Obama set into place, right? All the protections, all of the opportunities that Obama did under his presidency. And the second thing is to make everyone who is not a cis, straight, white man that is rich yeah. feel like other, right? Yeah. He's doing it to trans folks. He's doing it to Latinx folks, black folks, right? So his whole you know, thing about sitting in office is to make people feel as if they are not members of this country, that they yeah, are would, the reason this country will not be able to be great yeah, if they are here. Absolutely. I mean, I am sick I was thinking about that. I was thinking, like, like, what is his motivation? Yeah, and like, that's and, it. And, and, you know what I think it is? It's almost like, like, um... He would totally be okay if America became nothing but a country of like straight rich white people. Like I was yeah. like, I'm like, is he? I was like, is he trying to like erase like yep. people? And I'm like, oh yep. no, like he, like he really would be okay because again, if, yep. if if you're driven by business, right? And that's the thing about the business world, doc. Yeah. That you know, like people say, like there's no crime in the boardroom or there's no feelings in the in the, in the boardroom. That it really tries to become a place where dynamics don't matter, right? That right. one's race and orientation and the fact that you have kids at home, none of that matters. Be here from 9 to 5, make me some money, and anything else is a distraction. Right. So if your ultimate goal is for America to be a powerhouse of a, of a nation, right? Uh -huh. That's your ultimate goal, to be the richest, most powerful, most respected nation. You don't really care who does that. 
Yep. And if it just what happens that because of enslavement and white supremacy and patriarchy, that rich straight white dudes is the ones with the most power and the most access. Mm-hmm. Well, because it's like what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? But because straight rich white dudes have the most access and power and education. Well, they're going to be the ones who are best positioned, you know, quote unquote, to make us a world force. Well, then we're going to eliminate anybody else, right? But other people are invaluable precisely because of white supremacy, right? So I think that maybe in his own twisted mind, he wants to basically erase anybody who he sees to be kind of a burden or a PC burden or some kind of neoliberal burden on society, i.e. trans people, i.e. people who are immigrants, i.e. people who are part of the, you know, so I think that maybe that's what his... Yeah, I mean, he has one, he has no true sense of history. He's a completely undereducated. I don't care whatever degrees he has and whatever they say. He's completely undereducated. Somebody else took his test for him or he paid for him. But, I mean, yeah. he has he, he's not uh, smart. He has no idea of world history, American history, or anything, yeah, right? Yeah. And even Paul Ryan, who's also the worst, yeah. he said, you know, even Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, said, you cannot end birthright citizenship with an executive order. I yeah. mean, you just can't do yeah, it. Yeah, technically he can't even do so, it. So he's just, he's basically like just more rhetoric. He's constantly, he's one of those people who's constantly talking about, well, it's about the Constitution, it's about America, and let's go back to the laws. Like, you don't even know the Constitution. Yeah. You have no awareness of what any amendment has meant, what it means. You don't know who wrote the Constitution. You probably don't even know when the United States was even ratified. He probably don't even know, he probably think the United States probably as old as, as Europe. Yeah, yeah. The United States, 20 years old. You yeah. know what I'm saying? He probably think the United States is like centuries old. Like, the United States was here during this time. I mean, he's a fool. Absolutely. All right, so let's move on to more delightful news uh, from 45. This uh, story actually made me smile uh, in the world of of science innovations. This is reported by TheAdvocate.com. There are two lesbian mothers um, in Dallas, Texas, who are celebrating the birth of their first child that they're deeming a miracle baby. (coughs) I know you would love that. I'm not going to even show you the picture. Oh because they, this, the two moms holding their baby in a pumpkin patch, and I know that you will oh basically... Oh, my God. Nope, nope, nope. That's why I'm not even going to show you I the picture. I want to see nope, it. Nope, nope, nope. Not. I'm not going to do that to our listeners. Okay. So their, their names are Ashley and Bliss Coulter, uh, the 20 and 36, respectively, but they have become mothers to a baby boy named Stetson. Come here. I come here, I know. Look, look, I'm just as bad as you. Okay. So they, were the, they are the first parents to try a, a procedure called reciprocal effortless in vitro fertilization. Now, let me explain what that means. What that means is that both of these mothers were able to carry this baby. You you might say, say how, Jason? How, Jason? Let me tell you. Let me tell you how. (laughs) Uh, So they got married in 2015, by the way. They knew they wanted to have a baby, but Ashley knew that she wanted to have a baby, but Bliss was not sold on it. Okay. So Bliss wanted to have a baby that was biologically hers, but did not want to carry it. You know, everybody don't want to carry a baby, right? Yes, yes. Um, And so they worked out a system. Their doctors worked out a system by which instead of doing in vitro, because usually in vitro, I guess, you take the eggs and you yeah. inseminate them in a uh, laboratory or some kind of Petri dish or something. Yeah. But instead, they were able to use the process by which the eggs were fertilized while still inside of Bliss herself. Oh. And they were actually able to do the in vitro while her eggs were still inside of her. Okay. So once the eggs were fertilized, she carried them for five days as they began to develop into embryos. And then after five days... They removed the embryos from Bliss's uterus. They froze them and then implanted them into Ashley when it was at the appropriate time. So technically speaking, oh, wow. so Ashley ended up giving birth to the baby. But technically speaking, both women got to partake in the carrying and development of the baby. Oh, I know, okay. I know, I, I'm not really familiar with female anatomy, so I probably didn't explain that very like all that well to like our listeners. But in other words, that both parents got to at least for a short amount of time carry the baby. Yeah, carry the and baby. That's really yeah. sweet. 
you know, I, I just I, I just was excited because I thought it was something else. I thought, I, it, was, you thought, it, was something I more thought it was two moms' DNA. I thought it was both moms' DNA in the baby. I know you thought that. I'm, yeah, so I'm that's sorry like to disagree. Fresh. I, I know that y'all thought it was something a little bit more. <laughs> I'm like, that's not that's not yeah, as fresh. I know. But that's I, fine. I did kind of set it up like it was gonna be something really like. Yeah, I'm like, oh my god, so that you know, like that meant like. Or like Siamese mothers, like they both were like, <laughs> like connected the belly and the kid, no, but no, okay. no. I really thought it was like her DNA and then her DNA. I'm sorry to, to, to let you down. I know yeah, you know no, that's that more magical. Yeah, that was not. Oh, so, well, sorry. But it's fine. Um, well, dang. Uh, well, before we go, we had a great time on our way to the studio today jamming. We did. To All the old, old, uh, old indie rock, or what would be, it wouldn't be classic we rock. Was, we was to, no, it would be, no, like alt rock, I guess? Like, we were talking, mm. like, y'all, we were doing blues, so yesterday we did a lot of more set. That was, that was a good old time, child. Yeah. We did a lot of more set, uh, You Oughta Know. You right. want to know by Alanis Morissette? We did yes. four non-blondes. What's um, up? What was it? Oh, what's up? That's our we song. D- yes. I did Blues Traveler. Now you, uh, yeah, Co- I don't know who that Co- is. Coach, did you know Blues Traveler? I don't know. Okay, Coach, you you no. didn't know Blues Traveler, the hook. No, I didn't. Uh, know but we were talking about uh, you played uh, the what's that song? The Rain. Who was that by? The Rain. The Blind Melon. The The Rain. You just played oh, it. Oh, oh, yeah, the little B girl. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yes. Um, what is their name? Blind um, Melon. Blind Melon. You yeah, Blind did, Melon. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 I love them. So we were reminiscing about like some really good jams from the nineties. There was, and it was how, like, even so though much you were fun. in Michigan and I was here in Kentucky, there were kindred spirits. That we've always been kindred because we were, like, ever since we were little. Two black kids. Because we were talking about Lisa Loeb and. All sorts of stuff. Natalie Amulia, like, uh, Torn, uh, Meredith Brooks, I'm yes, a B. Yes, I'm a B. Yes. Yeah, I know, yes. Know, and then the one where we were really dancing to was uh, Sarah Borales. Oh my goodness, she's new. We were, we were doing it. Uh, yes. And told me to Is breathe easy, easy for a while. That's my jazz. Blank stares at blank pages. Yeah, yes. So anyway, uh, I don't even know why we want to share that with y'all listeners other than to say that we hope that you take time today or any day, because I was especially sad this week, that you yeah. take time to put on some music, child, from your childhood, from your currenthood that makes you jam, right? Don't be ashamed to let the windows down. Give it your best friend. Give it whoever is important to you. Yeah. Child, crank up the music. Get on YouTube, Spotify, whatever, <laughs> you know, source you use, child, and just sing like no one is listening and yeah, dance like no one is watching. And I promise you, it will make you feel 100% better. And I tell you what, now is your time to do it because sooner rather than later, it will be Christmas season and all that you all will hear for the next Six to twelve weeks is Christmas music, and <laughs> so I'm true. not looking forward to that. So that's now's your true. time to jam to all the jams. So, um, as always, dear listeners, hey, thank y'all so much for listening. It really means the world to us as we uh, reflect on the end of this year. It's like time for a uh, friendsgiving and time for Christmas, and really to be thankful for all the blessings. And so, y'all have been a real blessing for us since what 20. 2012. 2012. 2012. 2012. I'm at the Super Bowl. Okay. Yes. So anyway, uh, we'll see y'all <laughs> next week. Say goodbye, Doc. Bye. Bye, everybody. Strange Fruit is produced by Louisville Public Media. Our editor is Laura Ellis. Our engineer is Kojin Tashiro. For more information about Strange Fruit, visit strangefruitpod.org. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Strange Fruit Pod. The views expressed on Strange Fruit do not reflect those of Louisville Public Media, its staff, or its underwriters. Strange Fruit is produced by me, Kyla Story. And me, Jason Gardner. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.